I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Zilks and I'm joined by the Snoop Dogg without smoke to my Snoop Dogg with smoke. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Good news, everyone. This is the last international break now until March. Thank God for that, Justin, because we can just now focus on talking about actual championship action without having to watch Luxembourg v Lithuania. (laughs) It's the worst kind of international break as well, isn't it? Because it's the end of the qualifiers where quite a lot of teams have qualified. There's very little drama. Mm. You know, England have had nothing games against Macedonia and Malta. No one's really cared. I think the players have even cared because of those games were so boring as yeah, well. I, I had to cover the Malta game as well and it was genuinely an awful couple of hours. But... Like you said, the football's back. I can I can sink my teeth into actual actual knowledge rather than wanting to I don't know put myself to sleep. Basically, it's been awful. Yeah. Put yourself to sleep, Jesus. That's um, <laughs> realise how that sounded. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I watched the is the Malta game in the pub and just wasn't paying attention after about five minutes just chatted to other people instead it was just one of those international breaks wasn't it so thankfully ladies and gentlemen it's now just championship 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 until march at the very least so that's always good with us um justin it's become a bit of a tradition now and to me starting each midweek episode with a, a bit of a question for you so here's the one for you this week what connects cristiano ronaldo former Chelsea and Newcastle winger Kennedy and Woody Harrelson. Um, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Were they were they all in cheers at one point? Ooh, ooh. He might be on something, ladies really? and gentlemen, ooh. but he's not. Yeah. Um, no, if you, if you had a think, if you probably thought about it, you may have come up with something there, but they're all named after US presidents. Ronaldo's named after Ronald Reagan. Um, that's probably the most obscure one of the bunch Kennedy's named after John F. Kennedy and Woody Harrelson's named after Woodrow Wilson what do you think about that? are you named after anyone? Um, yeah so my, my brother actually named me um, there oh. was a there was a reserve player for Derby um, who was <laughs> called who was called Justin Phillips my name is who exactly who exactly um, and my name is Justin Philip um, so yeah my, my brother actually coined my name um, so technically yes but technically no as well I mean imagine doing that now just naming naming your son after a reserve derby player who would just go on to nothing it would be a yeah. quite incredible and um, I'm named after Ryan Giggs which 
And I think ten years story. ago would yeah. have been something to be happy about, but now not so much. So um, mm. let's swiftly move on. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, it's been the international break, ladies and gentlemen. So we've got a bit of news for us to catch up on. So we'll talk about all the latest goings on in the championship. We'll also have a look ahead to the weekend and make some predictions, Justin and I, as we continue to tally up how our predictions do for the course of the season. And then we'll finish off with Scott High or Ryan Lowe, right? at the end of the show. So, we'll begin with what I'm now calling Vagnovich. David Wagner <laughs> is staying on as Norwich City manager for now. It's despite winning just seven points from an available 30, but the new sporting director, Ben Napper, who's now been in the job for just over a week, has decided to stick with him. I will admit, I feel bad, Justin, because he's been on the edge of being sacked now for weeks and we're like a couple of hungry vultures just waiting to pounce <laughs> as soon as the inevitable seems to happen. Um, but what have you made of the decision to stick with him? Are you surprised? I think it's both a surprise, but also inevitable. It's, it's, it's kind of, um, it's a weird spectrum to be on. I think Ben Ben Napper would have been hoping to come in and everything be fine and dandy. You know, the birds are singing, the smell of freshly baked pies filling the halls of Carrow Road. Animated canaries putting on his blazer. It's, it's not, is it? You're in a dumpster fire where change is extreme. Uh, which is, and that's football I, mean, I think actually retaining Wagner might be a smart move for him because uh, well you need to caveat the Wagner thing with the performances you need to approve or you will be sacked that's quite simple but I think that the fact that coming in and making an extreme change just isn't the right way to go about it especially when you're only a couple of weeks in a job because you need to get accustomed with everybody in the building not just the manager there's a whole culture at a football club that you need to that you need to address and in fact there is a good coach they, they were good they were a very good side at the start of the season they've 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 dropped off because of injuries get players back who knows what can happen but that does that doesn't mean that Wagner isn't lucky to still have his job I would disagree I don't think the drop-off is purely because of injuries. I think it is also down to David Wagner's ability as a coach and his game management in certain games. I also disagree that I think that, for me personally, I think Ben Napper actually had quite an ideal situation um, coming into Norwich because I think if I was in his shoes, I'd have looked at it and thought... This is ideal. It means nobody would blame me for changing the manager. It means I can bring in my own man, start afresh. And if if I was a new sporting director starting my new job, that sounds like a great position to be in for me. So this just seems to me like we're not getting the big reset that Norwich as a football club badly need still. But do you need to reset in November? Uh, they do need a reset, but can that be done in November? I think is a better way of phrasing it because I just don't think it is. And again, Ben Napper, is he coming in with a short list of managers? I don't think he is. He was expecting to start the job in March. That was the original date that, that Stuart Webber was going to leave. So again, he's coming in He's coming in a bit early because things, got, things were getting bad, things were getting toxic and Webber needed to go. So again, coming in three months before you should have actually been starting your role, is it, are you going to be ready to sack a manager and have one replaced, have a replacement lined up? I don't think you are. He's been sat on the sidelines for months now, knowing that he's going to be getting this job soon. So I imagine he would have had someone in mind. If not, then I'd have a lot of question marks about Ben Napper as a sporting director already. For me, I just think this has the potential to backfire so much and instantly put Ben Napper under pressure. I'm not saying he'd be in danger of getting sacked, but 
it would go some way to undermining confidence in his decision making so early in his tenure because look at it this way if Norwich get a poor result against QPR this weekend does he sack Wagner then if so people will be asking why didn't he just do it earlier and if they have three or four poor results in a row then he's really going to have egg on his face isn't he well yes but again it's 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 that it's that trade off isn't it of making that big decision when you first come in or or waiting for the dust to settle in your role. I think that's a really difficult blend to to come in and do. I think just coming in and throwing your weight around, I just don't think it happens in football unless you unless you do have an idea of where the, the club needs to go. But the the team, Stuart Webber, and this is where it, this was where things really go wrong. Stuart Webber recruited for David Wagner. David Wagner isn't the right coach and the players weren't the right um weren't of the right standard, I don't think. Or of the right, um, and there's a lot of experience, not a lot of pace, not a lot of, not a lot of. Um, That's why Stuart Webber to had to go, didn't he? Because exactly. the recruitment in the summer was just all over the shop. This is why I had to go this time last year, really, because again, Dean Smith held on to his job for too long, hired his mate, etc. So this is where it goes wrong, and this is where Ben Napper's having to sweep up. He's got these. He's got a, a, at least eighteen months worth of errors to to sweep up, and I don't think sacking the manager is is, is going to alleviate any of those any of those issues because I think they extend way past David Wagner I think there's problems with the squad and I think there's problems with um, recruitment as well so I think I'm not I'm not going to disagree with that Justin that's what I've been saying for a long time the the, the whole club needs a big reset and for me that starts with the manager because the manager clearly isn't working he hasn't worked really uh, on a consistent basis for a number of months now so start with getting in a new man who you believe in first and foremost and then just go from there start over again from that position and then let it spread outwards is what I'm trying to say um, but let's move on in our management chat to South Yorkshire with the latest on Rotherham's hunt for a new gaffer after sacking Matt Taylor the Rotherham advertiser says the club don't expect to have a new manager in place this week but could appoint someone before they play Hull next Tuesday Neil Warnock has ruled himself out of the job. More on him shortly. Meanwhile, reports say Chris Wilder is not in the running, despite being one of the early favourites. John Eustace and Steve Evans are also said to be unlikely. I would have loved to have seen Steve Evans in the championship (laughs) again. That would have been absolutely magical. So I'm disappointed that that's not happening. But let's pretend you're in the shoes of the Rotherham hierarchy, Justin. Who would you like to see? Do you want me to be serious, or do you want me to just lend him with a bit of a jokey answer first? Or uh, we'll we'll go jokey first, but keep that brief, please. Jose Mourinho, Diego Simeone, you get them straight on the phone. No? Okay, let, let's move on to the series. <laughs> I thought there was going to be a funnier answer there. To be honest, I don't. I don't know who I could have brought in that was funny. I don't know. I, Steve Evans. Uh, Steve Evans. <laughs> okay. um, for me, I think the squad's been recruited for a manager who plays a, a deep line and, and direct style of play. They like to sit back, they like to counter quick. Um, well, that's certainly what the club squad feels like at the moment. So I think a manager suited more suited to that style makes makes sense. I don't think there's any point in, in bringing, you know, Bristol City, for example, bringing Liam Manning. There's no point in bringing that type of coach, is there? Because it's just going to go terribly wrong terribly quickly unless you want to commit to the long term and if you're doing that you may as well get Matt Taylor um, but if you're looking at that sort of manager who likes to play with a deep line sit back and counter quick Gary Rowett is the 
archetypal figurehead you want for that um, that role or do that you, style. Do you think he's realistic, though? No, that's what's going to get into it. I think that's okay. an amb- <laughs> I, that's what I think that's an ambitious shout. I mean, he cited that he wants to be closer to his family in Staffordshire, East Midlands, Yorkshire's a lot closer than London to that. So that's a potential if he wants to get back into management quite quickly. I don't think he does because he had a. Did he have a, yeah, I mean, I think he had a couple of months off in between his Millwall and his Stoke roles. Um, so there's that. But again, with that side of play in mind, you're probably looking at someone like Liam Richardson, who's been the favourite for a while. I think he deserves another chance. But that being said, do I think he's an upgrade on Matt Taylor? I don't think he is. So I, do, I really do think Rotherham should be looking for a, club, uh, a manager who understands the club, who, who's who been in that scenario before where you're in the shadow of the bigger clubs like Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday. Your budget isn't high. Maybe you have experience playing for them, but all that is maybe too close to Paul Warren as well. Mm. I have been surprised to see the likes of Chris Wilder and Gary Rowlett linked with the job because I just simply don't see them being realistic at all. I mean, why would they take the Rotherham job? And I'm... Um, I mean, it's with no disrespect, but let's be honest, it's quite an unattractive job, isn't it? The aim is simply to stay up and you're being asked to do it with minimal funds. And then even if you do keep them up, then what? You're just constantly in this cycle of fighting to stay up again Mm. season after season. So that's why I think Rotherham would be wasting their time at someone looking at someone like Chris Wilder, Gary Rower, even Nathan Jones. So the best thing I think they could do is give a young coach a chance who's not had a manager's job before, take that gamble on someone like that, or look down the lower leagues like they did before with Matt Taylor. If there is anyone out there in either of those two camps, I don't know who they are because no one particularly stands out for me. I suppose Liam Richardson isn't a bad shout. He was doing all right at Wigan, wasn't he? He was. There was that long run... um, and they've got a very poor away record as well. So there's that. I think I weirdly think Gareth Ainsworth might suit this side more than he suited QPR. Yeah, yeah. That's not a terrible yeah. shout. I do think Gareth Ainsworth is out of his depth at championship level personally, but I don't think he'd be the worst appointment. Out of his depth? Yes and no. I think it really does depend on the squad and and, and standard of player he's got available to him. I think it's a shame in that case that he left that he's just left QPR after pretty much disaster. I think if this was still at Wickham, it'd be perfect. It'd be perfect. But I think that, that, that spell with QPR has obviously just muddied the mind a little bit in terms of where he pointing the finger straight away in terms of looking for a new manager for this team but I, I do think he's the perfect person to do it because again you've got that he ticks a lot of boxes that that, that play, um, managing a, a smaller club in the shadow of bigger clubs like Wickham small budget um, or you know up against it I, I do think the circumstances are perfect for him yeah I'm not sure I would see Rotherham's chances of staying up upgraded if Gareth Ainsworth did come in but in the long term it might work a bit better but I, I don't know I, I'm I'm still not convinced by Gareth Ainsworth I wouldn't mind seeing him back in the championship because as far as quotes go he gave us plenty of content in that regard <laughs> didn't he uh, now Neil Warnock has given us an insight into his plans for his next job speaking to Sky Sports he said shall I do it in his voice or, or not Justin um, go on then yeah, yeah, yeah. start it start it in his voice 
Speaking to Sky Sports, he said, I don't work until February. It's usually February I start work. Sharon knows if I do get one or two or three months, she'll let me go for two or three months. It would be nice to have a club sort of mid-table. I can have a good a go at getting in the playoffs rather than somebody bottom of the league or second from the bottom. I've just got to keep them up. Um, where do you think he'll end up, Justin? Firstly, that was a character from Coronation Street. That wasn't Neil Warnock. <laughs> it was <wasn't> it? <laughs> Where do I think he'll end up? That's the question. What an open-ended question. I've got no idea. I'd have expected a Rotherham or QPR to go for him. Yeah, they're the, the, the perfect club. It's clubs. too early. It's too early. Justin. That's exactly. It's too early. Um, uh, but I, I don't think if, if they have, I, I think it, maybe his time in the championships uh, is, is gone. Sadly, I, I say it with gritted teeth. I say it with sadness. Is he likely to get a championship-level job again? I'm not sure. I think. February is his peak time, isn't it? He's, he's the pumpkin spice latte of football. He's seasonal for for basic bitch, uh, basic bitches, but except the basic bitches in this metaphor are desperate owners wanting to achieve their objectives. Yeah, the the most basic of bitches, in my opinion. <laughs> um, for me, I think QPR has got his name written all over it. I can just see it now. If it doesn't work out for Marty Sifuentes, Warnock in when they're still in the relegation zone come March time. I don't think Sheffield Wednesday is out of the question either. I, Danny Rule is doing what he can do there, but if they're still struggling, it won't surprise me to see Chancery blow his top and decide, <laughs> right, let's have one last roll of the dice and see if we can stay up. It is interesting what he said about fancying a job at a team looking to get into the playoffs, though. Do you think he'd be a good appointment for a playoff chasing side? Uh, sadly, I don't, I don't think he would. I, I, it's quite difficult saying that because I think he would be a good appointment for most sides in the in, in the championship. But I just think the squad start expect to be chasing promotion, shall we say, or, or clubs in current clubs in the, in the top half. Only one manager is over fifty, Tony Mowbray at Sunderland, which is quite an interesting stat. It's just one manager over fifty. So again, you. Oh, what's Mark Robbins? Clubs in the current top half. Oh, Mark Robbins is playoffs last season. <laughs> it's it's on that name. Mark Robbins is fifty two, um, or, or a bit older. But the, the point there is, clubs clubs are choosing managers either at the peak of their careers, like Daniel Farker, who's forty seven, or managers beginning their careers, manager like Kieran McKenna, Carrick, Maresca, etc. So it's very rare you see a manager who is literally retired this time last year get a job for a side chasing promotion. Uh, I'm sure if there was a club who loses who who lost their manager you look at Luton this time last year for example small budget um, I'm not saying Luton would have appointed Neil Warnock but small budget they're on the cusp of chasing chasing promotion why not get a man in till the end of the season to try and see you over the line Neil Warnock would be perfect but I just don't think that's going to gonna happen Steve Bruce was maybe the last one um, I could think of in West Brom um, and, and unfortunately uh, didn't, didn't end well hmm. I'm, I'm- I think that's just ageism on your behalf, Justin. I, I, for me, I, I kind of agree in the other respect that I just don't think he'd be a good appointment for a playoff chasing side. I'd be more confident about him keeping a team up if they're five points from safety than I would be in him getting a team in the playoffs when they're five points off the top six. I mean, you look at his recent track records, he had in charge of a so-called mid-table side was Middlesbrough, wasn't it? And they never really looked like getting into the playoffs when he was there. I also think his style is much more suited to survival than a playoff race. But I'd be interested to see it happen 
if it did happen, but it's not for me personally. Uh, speaking of Middlesbrough, defender Darrell Lenahan is set to miss the rest of the season with an Achilles injury. He hasn't played for the last two months, but has now confirmed on an Instagram post that he's had surgery on the problem. He's the second Middlesbrough defender who's out for the season already after Tommy Smith was ruled out. It leaves them very thin on the ground at the back, doesn't it, Justin? Yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about depth. I'm more worried about the lack of leadership at the back. Tommy Smith has obviously stepped up with his experience, become a bit of an un unsung hero for, for Burren. Darrell Dar Lenahan is, of course, your archetypal central defender, leader type. So yeah, I think that's that's where they that's where they're gonna um, that's where they're gonna struggle. Matt Clark is coming back from injury, but he hasn't played since last October. Paddy McNair, Dale Fry, Red Vandenberg stepped up. So I, I think there's depth. I think it just lacks leadership, which is which is the big issue. And when you've got a team who like to do like to play fairly open like Middlesbrough, having that leader type who can who can organise those in front of you does help. So that's where they're going to miss Darrell Lenahan the most. Obviously, he's a quality defender, but not having that organiser in there is, is going to be an interesting one to see how they handle that. I, I think you're underestimating how thin on the ground it leaves them in terms of depth because they've got Delfry and Paddy McNair, who have both been excellent at centre-back, it's worth saying. But McNair is out of contract in the summer. And if an offer comes in, they may very well have to sell. And then in terms of centre-back options, there isn't many else. You've got Matt Clark, who's coming back from injury, but he's not played in over a year. So it's a lot asking him to suddenly become a regular if McNair were to go all fry or McNair got injured. You've got uh, Ralph Van Den Berg, who's been playing at right-back. He's traditionally a centre-half, but I don't see any other right-backs unless Isaiah Jones drops back. So they've not had much luck with injuries and they're essentially down to bare bones at the back all of a sudden, which is an ideal for Middlesbrough. It's a side which is got very, it's got varying degrees of quality and depth, hasn't it, in certain areas of the squad and suddenly at the back it's looking very thin indeed. And finally for now, did you see the mascots for the Sierra Leone v Egypt World Cup qualifier were wearing Huddersfield shirts? <laughs> it was the uh, Huddersfield away shirt from the 2018-19 season. Mo Salah, of all people, posted a picture of the players singing the national anthems with the mascots stood in front of them, donned in red and black. I mean... I've got so many questions, Justin, yeah. mainly centering around how, why, what the fuck. It's a, it's a random one, isn't it? Is it? I mean, of all shirts as well, why the why the 2018-19 Huddersfield Tanaway shirt? Surely there's a, a, a Premier League shirt that they would have preferred. By the way, to be fair, Huddersfield were Premier League at that point. So maybe, yeah. maybe they just picked up an interest in Huddersfield during their disastrous well, stay well, in the top flight. I have got a theory. Because didn't Huddersfield around that time have a lad called Ramadan Sobi? Yeah. Who's Egyptian. Yeah. So unless for some reason he's just got loads of child-sized Huddersfield away <laughs> shirts from 2018-19. That's the only thing I could possibly come up with here, Justin, but it's still extremely strange. Well, it, it, it just had an influx of Huddersfield town supporters because of Ramadan Sobi during that Maybe. season. So now they've got this this fan club in Egypt because of Ramadan Sobi. He did nothing for the football club on the pitch during his time <laughs> there, but at least he's generated a few more a few more supporters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what they think about Darren Moore. Probably <laughs> very displeased. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll have a look ahead to the weekend. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Second Seer Podcast. It's now time for Justin and I to have a look ahead to the weekend and make some predictions. So in each preview episode of the Second Tier, Justin and I will each pick a banker, a team we think is guaranteed to win this coming weekend, as well as an outsider. So someone we think is going to win, but is bigger odds with the bookies than their opponents. We're tracking how we do as the season goes on. It's one point for a correct banker, two points for an outsider. Whoever loses has to do a forfeit. That'll be a CrossFit workout for myself while Justin will be going on a coach trip from Sunderland to Plymouth and back and I tell you what National Express better get ready Justin Peters joining you soon from the way things are going currently the scores are 18-13 to myself quite a big gap which has developed all of a sudden it comes after both Justin and I got our bankers correct a couple of weeks ago but I got my outsider correct of Millwall to win away at Sheffield Wednesday last time out. Mind the gap, Justin. Sorry saying that, but it's a five-point gap. That's literally one good weekend. It's a little bit more than one good weekend. (laughs) (laughs) It can all change with with this weekend. It can put the pressure right back on you. And I will say again, I've brought it up before, and it does irk me a lot, Ryan. I feel like listeners need to know about this gamesmanship, this obvious display of gamesmanship. Quarter past eight on Monday morning, you sent yours in. Absolutely horrendous. Horrendous. Well, I will point out the last time we did our predictions, I put mine in on Tuesday. You, you've just shown absolutely no ambition from yourself to put in your predictions any earlier. Right. And it sounds like, if I'm, if I'm being completely honest, that you just seem to forget until I do it. <laughs> Probably more likely. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Justin. What's your banker for the weekend? I've gone. I've not gone with Leicester to, to play Watford. I've gone with Leeds to beat Rotherham away. That's the one I've gone with. Um, it seems an obvious one, obviously, because of places in the league. It. I mean, it would be very Leeds to lose or draw this one, but it would also be very Rotherham and the Championship I'm to provide an upset. But for me, Matt Taylor is gone. They're coming off the back of a 5-0 defeat to Watford before the international break and Leeds have the top two in their sight with recent wobbles for, for Leicester. This is a game they have to win. There's no debate about it. I know it's a very obvious statement to make, but if you want top two, you cannot afford to become inconsistent and you cannot afford to become complacent. The start of their charge to the top has to begin this week. It has to. If they don't get a result here, I, I would be very confident in saying they're not going to reach the top two. I think Ipswich and Leicester could run away with it. So they have to beat Rotherham. I wouldn't say they have to do it convincingly, but they have to do it more convincingly than the Plymouth display just before the international break. Because that game did show that Leeds can be vulnerable, but also the quality difference in the two sides between, between Leeds and Rotherham is so, so stark and so big. You cannot be complacent. They can be. Yeah. We've seen it already this season. So this has to be the start. Just before Christmas, this has to be the start of the run. Yeah, I can't disagree with this one, Justin. There's two obvious bankers this weekend, and I simply preferred mine over this one, which I will get on to very shortly. 
The only things that made me a bit hesitant about possibly picking Leeds was A, the fact that they do have a tendency to have a poor performance in one in every Hmm. five games from what we've seen so far this season. Not a poor performance necessarily, but not a performance that's as good as the other ones. It's probably a better way of saying it. And also... I'm always a bit hesitant anyway to back a team to lose after they've just sacked their manager because perhaps <laughs> it could generate some sort of a reaction. It could, it could, it could do. Uh, that is that is the, the the variable to bring in and, and it could make them very resilient and it's, it's was against them sort of thing. Um, and it's, it's I'm going back to Leeds, Salford in the, the League Cup where Salford, I think they won on penalties, didn't they? And then obviously Sheffield Wednesday those two games where those two teams were very, very stubborn and Leeds found it very frustrating to break them down and get through. Um, and this is that type of game where the, the quality difference is so stark and so different. Um, and, and again, you are right. There is that, that that factor that Leeds have the ability to drop off one in three, one in four, and they can be punished. And Rotherham have shown it. They, they can punish teams. They did it with Southampton. Um, so that there is that capability to do so. So it does... It does does concern me a little bit, but like I said, I'm I'm, I'm confident at least have to get a result or will get a result because they have to. They simply have to. They cannot afford to slip up now. Yeah, they will. they certainly have to. I'm not going to disagree with you on that. Also, it's Salford, not Salford. Salford. Jesus Christ. Salford. I hate it when people say Salford. It's one of my big bugbears. You, you of all people cannot correct me on speech, but carry on as you were. But hang on, what's that based on? I'm not going to accuse you of anything, but I get no because you haven't thing- got anything to confuse no, I me have. about. Accuse me about. <laughs> I certainly have. Um, go on. No, I don't have go an on, example. Go on, to do hand. it. Go on. Exactly, because <laughs> there isn't anything. There, there is. There is. Go on. No, I don't. What do you expect exactly. me to do? You say there is, but there isn't any examples. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for proving my point. My banker for the weekend is Leicester to win at home to Watford. Pull yourself together, man. Um, of course, back to back losses for Enzo Maresca's ferocious foxes, but I'll be stunned if there is if this is just anything more than just a blip. They lost to a lead side who were excellent on the day and then to a moment of magic by Sam Greenwood. Middlesbrough are a very good side as well, lest we forget. So Leicester have got too much quality in abundance for this to be a long-term problem for me. They've got certainly too much quality for Watford. Valerie and Ishmael's boys are unbeaten in six. They have been playing better. Ishmael has changed how they've been approaching games. They haven't been playing incredibly by any means, though. And the six games they're unbeaten in were by no means the toughest set of fixtures. So Leicester are simply a much better side than Watford. They provide a much sterner test than the games that they have played recently. And I fancy the Foxes to get back on track in style here. You made a statement not too long ago in this in this episode. I say not too long ago, literally about a minute and a half ago about there being two obvious bankers this this week and Leicester and Watford was one of them. I, I, I just cannot fathom how that is an obvious banker for me considering Watford being unbeaten in the last six on Leicester going into this game having been defeated in, in their last two games it's going to be an awkward I'm not saying Leicester will lose but I don't think an obvious win for Leicester is on the cards here Jesus Christ talk about recency bias getting in the way of all sense and logic just in le- let's be honest Leicester are just a much better team than Watford recency bias it's, it's called form it's, it's called form which is an important thing in football it's confidence two games against two very good teams against two very good teams and Watford I think potentially 
could be on the up. They're unbeaten in the last six, as you pointed out. And interesting as well, they're starting to play to the strengths of the players at this disposal. Cross is going into Rajevic, isn't he? Pure, it's a clear example of that. And they, they, they did very well against Rotherham, albeit it was Rotherham. Um, but Rotherham gave Leicester a game earlier on the season. So it's that, that factor that anyone can beat anyone in the Championship and, and a team being six unbeaten are going to make it much more awkward than, than I think you give it credit for. Go on then, big man. Make it your outsider for the weekend. <laughs> no, because I've not prepared any notes on it. <laughs> <laughs> but I get what you're saying about them being unbeaten. They have been playing better. But you've got to keep in mind, the unbeaten run, they've won three out of six. And the teams they played in that time include Sheffield Wednesday, Huddersfield and Rotherham. So not the trickiest of games by any means. And the, the other teams they faced... I think I'm right in saying only Cardiff are in the top half. What's your point? It's not the trickiest of games. <laughs> Leicester's a bit different to that, Justin. So you can get on your high horse and say, this isn't a banker, but I think come the end of the weekend, you may be saying differently. Uh, my outsider for the weekend is Blackburn to win away at Stoke. This is one of those weekends where there weren't many obvious outsiders, but this is the most likely one for me. Blackburn are quite an unpredictable side. They're following a similar trend to the start of last season where they're just not drawing games. They've got just one draw to their name, seven wins and eight losses. They're definitely better going forwards than in defence, which perhaps lends to their unpredictability. But they have been productive away from home, though. Only Leicester, Ipswich and Southampton have won more points on their travels than Blackburn. They're on three away wins in a row as well, so I wouldn't be surprised to see them get another W on the board. And if Sammy Schmodix continues his unbelievable form, then that will certainly be a big plus. It's worth saying Stoke's form has been good. They've got three very impressive wins in a row against Sunderland, Leeds and Middlesbrough, but they followed that up with goalless draws against Cardiff and Coventry. They haven't conceded a goal in their last four games, so something's got to be got to give against a productive Blackburn side in attack. But ultimately, I'd be surprised if Stoke managed to sustain their decent form, um, mainly because I don't rate them that highly as a side. And with that being said, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a Blackburn win here. Talk about recency bias. Um... <laughs> I, I'm going into this I'm going into this again thinking it's a little bit a little bit uncomfortable for uh, for an outsider and you are right there weren't too many so it fits the criteria of it being an outsider but I just think Stoke's home form and Blackburn's lack of personality I think Stoke are in a much healthier squad state than, than Blackburn obviously Dom, Dom Hyam being being out of the game is 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 a is a really tricky one because you saw against that Preston uh, in that Preston defeat sorry that um, the, the game management side of things from a defensive point of view lacked towards the end of the game and I think it's probably why Preston nicked the win but I, I do think Stoke are in a much much healthier state than, than Blackburn on the pitch or squad wise or injury wise I think that might see them over the line in this one I, I the, the the away form for Blackburn is, is incredible he's very very good but sometimes you know it does help to have players available yeah, well, I'm not going to deny Blackburn have got their injury problems, but I look at these two side by side and I think they're quite evenly matched teams in terms of just where they are in terms of where they are this season. Um, so that's why I, I don't think a Blackburn away win is completely out of the question. And I'd actually fancy them based on their away form this season more than I would Stoke. 
Hence why I've got it as my outsider. What's yours, Justin? I'm backing on Millwall's home form, not having immediate improvement on Joe Wood. So I'm going with Coventry to beat Millwall at the Den. Always a risk that, of course, Edwards has had two weeks to work with his players. So there's some nervousness there from me. But I, I, I just think I, I'm Coventry, one of the league's most prolific creators. Millwall, interestingly, also concede a lot of shots at home. Um, so based on the math and the probability of chances, again, I'll get my hat on there. Coventry have to at least show up at least once in front of goal. I think Hadji Wright is one of the biggest underperformers when it comes to putting big chances away. Um, so that again, it's, it's a, it just fits the criteria for an outsider because Coventry just don't put their chances away and Millwall have a habit of being able to punish you. And then they've got the confidence of having that 4-0 away win against Sheffield Wednesday. Yes, it's against Sheffield Wednesday, but it's a 4-0 away win, and get, 4-0 away win against any team is an outstanding result. So they're going to take that into into a new start under Joe Edwards. So it's going to be an awkward one for Coventry. But I just think, again, the amount of chances they create and again, that need to kickstart the season. Similar to Leeds, getting form going for Christmas, I think is the best time to do it because you can, as we saw last season, can go from a bottom three dweller to a top six contender by the turn of the year. But Justin, have you considered their form? Coventry have only got two points from six games, whereas Millwall have just beaten Sheffield Wednesday 4-0. Have you not considered the form? No, I haven't in this one. And it's because it's an outsider, Ryan. You can't consider form. You've got to, you've got to go with your beliefs. You've got to go with your gut on these ones. You can't just, you can't just be boring of mathematic and clinical of everything like you are. You've got to have emotion. You've got to have you feeling. You accused me of it earlier in the episode. <laughs> and I'm being a hypocrite and I'm, I'm going to embrace that. I'm going with my gut here. I'm going with emotion. Not for the first time. <laughs> I've got nothing else to say on it other than, you know, football's about football's about emotion. I think this is just part of your ongoing agenda against Joe Edwards and how you it absolutely are convinced is. about it as an appointment. Um, I Coventry is such a frustrating side because I keep looking at them and thinking, surely things will get on track again soon. They're creating so many chances and actually playing quite well in games. But the fact that they've just got two points from six games is just, you know, mind-blowing, really. So... I like to think Coventry will get going soon. Maybe that will be against Millwall this weekend. Um, having said that, Millwall looked a much better side in their first game against Wednesday. Obviously winning 4-0 shows that. Um, so whether that comes against them, because of course the Den's a tricky place to go in traditional sense. Um I, I just don't know. We just need Hadji Wright, Ellis Sims, Matt Godden, just one of them to find their shooting boots all of a sudden. Maybe check down the back of the sofa or something like that because they can't be that far away, surely. Um, Justin, it's now time for this. Scott High or Ryan Lowe? Let me just fucking shit, mate. Yes, it's time for Scott High or Ryan Low. This is the game where we have to rank four things from highest to lowest. It's as simple as that. There's three questions. And ladies and gentlemen, we're opening up the floor to you once again. If you fancy providing a Scott High or Ryan Low question for us, then please let us know and we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. If you send them in to secondtierpod at gmail.com, then uh, we will receive them. And if you sub put the subject line as Scott High or Ryan Low, then uh, either Justin and I may very well read out your Scott High or Ryan Low suggestion in the coming weeks. Um, but for now, it's just questions from me, Peachy Boys. So this week, I'll be providing the questions for Justin. And your first one, Justin, is this. Rank these four championship clubs on who is the most famous, according to a poll 
by YouGov. It says their fame is defined by the percentage of people in the UK who have heard of them. So basically, it sounds like they've gone out on the street and asked people, have you heard of this club? Um, and that's basically what they've done. Uh, the clubs are Leicester City, Norwich City, Sheffield Wednesday and Watford. Okay. Bit of a strange one to start things off. But, it is you know, a strange one. I thought yeah. I'd throw it out there. It's a proper, they, they've gone out in international break and asked questions because they've got nothing else to do. Uh, I'm not sure it says recent as the oh. last international break. It'll be an international break, break of previous years then. Um, Possibly. I'm going to go with Watford last, mainly okay. because it's just outside of London. Um, so I think people forget Watford exists sometimes. Uh, which isn't fair, I'll point out. Uh, and I think I'll go with Sheffield Wednesday third, mainly because the the more common common individual might just go, why why are they named after a day of the week? That's absurd. Um, it is a bit weird, but that's, that's, you know, that's where we are. Um, and then I'll go with Leicester City top. And then who's second? Norwich. Norwich, yeah, because they've been in the Premier League recently. So Watford? Yeah, but just outside of London. London tax. Okay. Um, you are wrong because you've underestimated how famous, or overestimated rather, how famous Norwich City are. What? Um, so Leicester City are top. 89% of people have heard of Leicester City, apparently. Um, Sheffield Wednesday are second. 85% of people have heard of Sheffield Wednesday. Um, I think it's the Wednesday bit. Isn't it? That's true. Uh, Damn it. Yeah, they just stand out. Um, Watford, third, 83%. And then Norwich City were 85 Eighty-one percent of people wow. have heard of them. Apparently, that's a surprise. I'm a bit disappointed in the in, in the people of the streets of where this government poll was um, taking place. Yes, well, <laughs> take that up with them. Um, so you're wrong on the first one, Justin. The next one is this: rank these four current championship players on who has the most England caps to their name. They are Mark Albrighton, Patrick Bamford. Jake Livermore, Cal Walker-Peters. Oh, uh, Jake Ooh. Livermore top. Jake Livermore top because he, he got a fair few caps. Patrick Bamford's got one cap, I think. I think I'm going to put him bottom though. Um, Cal Walker-Peters is, is a tricky one. Uh, Mark Albrighton, Roy Hodgson definitely picked Mark Albrighton at some point, but maybe just... Maybe just a sub-appearance. You know what? I'm going to go Patrick Bamford last, then Mark Albrighton, then whoever was, uh, whoever the other Kyle person Walker was. Kyle Walker-Peters, and then Jake Livermore. Oh, you've got it. You mixed up <sighs> Bamford and Albrighton, unfortunately. Really? So Jake Livermore's got seven, which astounded me. Seven. Wow. Seven England caps. When? Um, Kyle Walker-Peters was second with two. Patrick Bamford has one England cap. Margot Brighton has none. Definitely Roy Hodgson's picked him for a squad. It's just a t- he's typical of Roy I'm Hodgson. I'm sure he has. I, d- he's, I, um, I don't doubt he's not being capped, but... You'd have thought with the whole Leicester winning the Premier League thing that he may have got called up at some point. Um, he's never been, he's never been called up to the England squad. Roy Hodgson, what That's are you doing? He's, 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 you're your kind of player, Roy. Would you say he's the best player to never get called up to England? Yeah, yeah, he's he's certainly better than uh, Steve Bruce ever was. Yeah, Mark Noble, or something along those lines. Anyway, it's nearly that time of the year, Justin. But can you rank for me the top four most streamed Christmas songs of all time, according to the official charts company? Emphasis on streamed, 
not bought, streamed. So uh, the songs I'm looking for are this. All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. Fairy Tale of New York by The Pogues. And uh, the one that got killed by the speedboat. Um, Merry Christmas, Everyone by Shaken Stevens. And Last Christmas by Wham. Oh, I hate Christmas songs with a passion because they never change. Yeah. They never change. Um, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the Pogues top, then Mariah Carey with uh, the other shit Christmas song. Then I'm going to go mm. with uh, Wham. That's actually quite a good one, actually. I do uh, mm. do enjoy a bit of Wham. Banger. Then I'm going to go with um, Shaking Stevens. Um, no, that one was all over the shop. I am surprised you did not put Mariah Carey top. That was I, just obvious. I just think people are sick of it because it's on all the time. Nope, absolutely not. Just in when it gets to December the 1st, people are already, you know, thawing out that one. And uh, Mariah Carey's there screaming in everyone's ears. Um, all I want for Christmas for you is top. Last Christmas was second. Fairy Tale of New York, third. Merry Christmas, everyone, was fourth. So actually, you just massively overestimated how popular... Fairy Tale of New York was. I do. It's, it's the, the one you always sing. When What's you your favourite Christmas song, Justin? The one with the uh, trumpets and the cavalry. It's not actually a Christmas song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that one. Yeah, it's a good, yeah, it's good a good song. little jam. Yeah, but it's not actually yeah. a Christmas song. Incredible, right? No, it's not. It's not. I like a step into Christmas, Elton John. Just, a, just a vibe. Yeah, it's a lot of energy, which I don't think a lot of Christmas songs have. So that's fair. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. On the subject of uh, songs, by the way, we finally got an answer to um, the question which was haunting us about what the tune is to He's still asleep, he's still asleep, he's still asleep. And, you know, the song that basically every football chant is now based off. It's actually by Men Without Hats. Pop Goes the World. It was sent in to us by listener Lee. So a big thank you. You've done us a great service here on the second tier. But if have a listen, ladies and gentlemen. We can't unfortunately play it on the podcast, but go on YouTube, Men Without Hats, Pop Goes the World. And uh, that's the answer to the conundrum which has been haunting us during this international break. But ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back again on Sunday with a reaction to the return of the championship from this dark and gloomy international break. And if you haven't yet, make sure you go back to listen to Sunday's episode where we chat to former West Brom Birmingham Bolton and Watford defender Paul Robinson about his career and uh, other tidbits as well, like Gary Rowett's departure from Millwall, as well as coaching Jude Bellingham, you know, just his playing career in general. It was a really good listen. Paul's a top bloke. And uh, yeah, it was a really intriguing uh, catch up with him and his career. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.